But let's talk about what we're here together to talk about this morning. We're going to be in the book of Jude. And uh, I want to share with you a special message from Jude. And uh, before I get to that, I want to start with um, something in general about the book of Jude. Jude started out writing this as a letter, and he wanted to write about the common salvation he had with his readers. He wanted to write about the good news of Jesus Christ, salvation. But he couldn't do that because there was a more pressing matter at the time, a problem with false teachers, and so he had to write to them to contend earnestly for the faith. Look how the book opens in verses 3 and 4. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Sometimes you can't do what you want to do because you're too busy putting out the fires of the urgent. That's frustrating, but that's the way life works. You want to do this, but you have to do that. A man gets up on his day off and he's wanting to play a round of golf with his buddies. But before he leaves the house, one of his friends phone and says, I'm sick, I can't make it. He says, well, that's okay, we can make it a threesome. So he meets his friends up at the golf course. He's on his way there, but he gets a flat tire on the way. He has to stop, change the tire, rolls into the golf course on the spare, and uh, he meets up with his buddies, and it starts to rain. And it rains for about an hour, but they hang around the clubhouse and wait for that to pass. It's okay, they still have time to play nine holes. On hole three, his phone rings. You can't get away from your phones anymore. So the phone rings, it's work. There's a big problem, can't be avoided. He has to stop, he has to take care of the problem at work. Time passes, his friends are letting everybody play through. They're finally able to pick it back up again. They get to hole five, the phone rings again. His son's fallen out of a tree, broken his leg. Game over, right? That's how a day goes a lot of times. We try to do something we want to do, but urgent matters get in the way. And uh, that's just the way life is. Now, as a side note, I'll say this. The more attention we're able to spend on the important matters, the less urgent matters pop up. You can't avoid all urgent matters, but you can reduce them by spending as much time as you can on important priorities. For example, if the man in the scenario I was talking about, if he had taken his car in to get it serviced and gotten new tires, he wouldn't have gotten the flat on the way to the golf course. And if he had done some things at work, maybe he could have avoided the emergency that called him away from the game on his day off. That's something we can do to mitigate the problems a little bit, but you can't avoid all urgent matters. It's just a part of life. Don't say when your plans get interrupted, this always just happens to me. Now, everybody's life is like that, full of interruptions. Problems arise we don't expect. It just happens. That's the way life is, and we have to deal with it. Some distractions are unavoidable. Crises have to be dealt with. It's easy, though, 
to lose your focus and turn your whole life into the crisis instead of the desire. But in Jude, he avoids that. He has to deal with false teachers. So in verses 5 through 16, he talks about contending for the faith. The, the urgent matter that interrupted his plan to talk about salvation. But in verse 17, before he ends the letter, he gets back to the salvation. And that's the portion of the letter I want to talk about this morning, namely verses 20 through 23, where he encourages his readers to stay in the love of God. Love is a cycle, the way the Bible presents it. And uh, you can look at it this way. It's sourced in God. Starts with God, it flows down to His people. But it's not supposed to stop with us. We're not supposed to stop the love of God and absorb it and take it all for ourselves, but rather we reflect it to others. And as we do that, showing God's love through others, to others, it's reflected back up to heaven. And this cycle is represented in Scripture in numerous places. Uh, for example, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So His love comes to us, inspires us to do good works for others, and in gratitude and praise, they shine it back up to heaven. That's the cycle that the Bible presents for love. Don't let it just stop with you. Let God channel His love through you to others so that they may see His good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We see that cycle in Jude, in the verses we're talking about this morning, staying in the love of God, because he says it means, number one, feeling His love through self-care, and number two, passing that love along to others by showing mercy. So that's our outline. It's just two points. Feeling His love through caring for ourselves and then showing that love by caring for others. So let's start with the first part, caring for yourself. You know, if you uh, have done much travel on airplanes, and Mackenzie's family has been on airplanes more than they have wanted to lately. Uh, they just got back yesterday from a long flight, brought my nephew Ben home, so we're glad he's with us. Uh, but if you've been on an airplane, you, you've all received that instruction, right? That... Uh, if the oxygen masks come down, you take care of your own oxygen mask first before you deal with your child's oxygen mask. And that's counterintuitive to a parent because what a parent wants to do is take care of the child first and then take care of himself. But we understand why the instructions are in that order because you can't help your child if you're unconscious or dead, right? You're no good to anybody that way. So you make sure that you can breathe so that you can be assistance of assistance to others. That's kind of what we're seeing here in Jude, is you've got to care for yourself so that you can help other people. Now, is there a danger? I think that's an important question, because there's a lot of religious traditions out there that say once you're saved, you're always saved. There's no danger whatsoever of you falling away from God. There's no way that you can part from Him in any way. Sin can never come between you and God again. I don't think that's what Jude is saying at all, if you look at the passages. But there are several assurances in Scripture that people can't take God away from you, can't take His love away from you. 
that his, his salvation is sure and certain. And we'll look at those as we think about this. John 10, 29, Jesus said, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And then he says, And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's talking about people as sheep, and he's saying, I, I'm their shepherd. Nobody's going to be able to take them away from, from me. Nobody can snatch them out of the Father's hand. That beautiful ending to Romans chapter 8 gives us the same assurance. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then if you have your Bibles open to Jude, just look at what Jude himself says at the end of this letter, verse 24. He says, God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. So, does this mean there's no danger of us ever falling away from grace? Does this mean we don't have to worry about self-care? Does this mean we can neglect our spiritual condition, maybe for good motives of taking care of others, or maybe just because we don't want to worry about that anymore. Once saved, always saved. I think it's very clear that's not what these passages are saying. No one can take you away from God, but there is the danger of a spiritual drift that occurs if you neglect yourself spiritually. It's obvious here that Jude is telling us the importance of self-care. Look at Jude, verse 20. He says, building yourselves building yourselves up in the most holy faith. And then in the next verse, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. What is he saying if he's not saying you've got to work at your spiritual maturity? You've got to build yourselves up in holy faith. You've got to keep yourselves in the love of God. We're just as responsible for our spiritual health as we are for our physical health. And we know if we neglect our bodies... If we eat trash and we don't get enough exercise, we don't pay attention to our ailments and go to the doctor, if we don't take advantage of uh, medical technology and advances today, that we'll get sick and we could even die if we don't take care of ourselves. We know that. Our bodies remind us about that all the time, right? So physical neglect, we know, will lead to physical ruin. Well, the same is true spiritually. Spiritual neglect leads to spiritual ruin. We've got to take care of ourselves. And in Jude, Jude tells us exactly how to do that. And he tells us through four commands that involve four important virtues. He's basically saying, here's how you do self-care as a Christian. Follow these four virtues and make them a part of your life. Let's look at them. The first one is faith. Verse 20. He says, you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. We're to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. The book begins and it ends with faith. As I said before in verse 3, he said, I wanted to write to you of our common salvation, but I found it necessary to tell you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith here is objective faith. 
There's two senses in which to take the word faith. We can think of faith as in terms of our beliefs, or we can think of faith in terms of what we believe. He's using it in that second sense. Not subjectively of your personal beliefs, but objectively of what you believe in. Your beliefs. He says at the beginning of the letter, I want you to fight for your beliefs. And here at the end of the letter, he's saying, build yourself up in your belief. In other words, if you're building yourself up in it, your beliefs about Jesus, that's the foundation of your spiritual house. And we all know what happens if the foundation crumbles, the whole house falls apart. So the first virtue of faith is very important. Take care of your beliefs, preserve them as God delivered them, don't allow false teaching to corrupt them, remind yourself of them, don't forget them, teach them to your children. That's your foundation for your spiritual life, your faith. Now secondly, he adds the virtue of prayer. He says... Next, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's verse 20 as well. Similar language to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, where we're told to pray at all times in the Spirit to withstand the schemes of the devil. Prayer is important. It's our way of leaning on God. It's our way of releasing our anxious control over our own lives and saying God can take care of it. Oh, it's our way of, of telling God our troubles and our sorrows and, and asking Him for help. Prayer has to be an important part of any Christian's life in order for them to continue to be spiritually healthy. And it's to be done in the Spirit. We have this great assurance, again, we go to Romans chapter 8, and verse 26, that the indwelling Spirit intercedes with, uh, for us when we don't know how to pray with groanings too deep for words. What that means is when you're in such bad shape that you don't know what to pray, pray anyway. And if there's a need that needs to come to the Father on your behalf, the Spirit will intercede for you to Him. You may not hear the words. You may not know what is being said on your behalf, but you know that intercession is going on for you. And that gives you confidence to pray anyway. That's the prayer in the Spirit. It's a prayer that is confident, unrelenting, unyielding. The third virtue Jude brings up is in verse 21, the virtue of love. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now that statement is meaningless if it's impossible for us to drift away. If it's once saved, always saved, and you can't ever fall from grace, why would you tell his readers Stay in the love of God. He's worried about a drift. And it happens when we are neglectful spiritually. Now, of course, there's a sense in which God loves everybody. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God loves everybody, but there's only a group of people that stay in the sphere of His love. Most of the world has turned its back on His love has rejected His love, but His people, they work to stay in that love. And by staying in that love through faith, they are near the source of their salvation. I think this is what John's talking about in 1 John chapter 4, where he writes in verses 16 and following, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. 
And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no love, no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This is perfect love Jude speaks of when he tells us to stay in the love of God. One final virtue that you need to keep in your life so that you can care for yourself spiritually is hope. It's hope that Jude talks about at the end of verse 21 when he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ when he will once and for all overthrow all injustice, deliver his people, raise them up from the dead, and take them to live eternally with him. If we grow impatient and we stop waiting on Jesus to return, then we settle for the short-term solutions of the world, we settle for the idols of the world that can't deliver us, and we give up on our salvation. We have to continue to hope and wait for Christ's return. Now you look at these virtues, faith, prayer, love, and hope. This is what we're supposed to use as resources to build ourselves up spiritually. God is not talking about hard work here. He's giving us these things. They're in our lives already. We're just asked to draw from these resources and use them to strengthen us spiritually. It's not about working your way into God's favor. He's already saved you by grace but it's about having the faith and the prayer in your life and the love in your life and the hope in your life that keeps your, your spirit renewed all the time. If you neglect this, you're not going to be any good to anybody else. If you neglect this, you're going to be in such a, a sorry spiritual state that you can't show love to others. You can't serve others. They won't know God through you. And so it's like the oxygen mass on the airplane. You have to take care of yourself first before you can assist another person. So first, feel the love of God and stay in that love of God. And then secondly, care for others. Care for yourself and then secondly, care for others. Jude addresses three groups here when he talks about caring for others. Uh, some translations make it look like two groups, some of them three. I'm going to look at it through the English Standard Version, which has three groups here. The first two are Christians, and the last group are unbelievers outside of Christ. And all three of these groups were to show mercy toward and care and compassion. So the first group are those who doubt. In verse 22, he says, Have mercy on those who doubt. Remember, Jude has been addressing false teachers and these are doubting Christians. And they're probably doubting because false teachers have come in. He says they crept in unnoticed. And they have put doubts even about Jesus and what he's been able to do into the minds of these people. And he's telling those who are still strong, show mercy towards those who are weak and have compassion on them. So I think we need to ask ourselves this question. Those of us who are here Sunday after Sunday, 
those of us who consider ourselves to be stronger Christians, if you're in that number, I have a question for you. How do you look at weaker Christians? Do you get impatient with them? Do you get annoyed by the questions, by the doubts? Do you wish they would just get over it and do what they need to do? Do you, get, do you grow weary that in the church there are some people who seem to be immature in the faith? You know, if that's your attitude, if that's my attitude, we need to repent. Because everywhere you read in the Bible about how the strong are to treat the weak, we're to care for them. We're to be patient with them. Jude says, show mercy to them. Let me say this. A church that has only strong Christians is a weak church. I'll say it again. A church that has only strong Christians is a weak church. And the reason for that is it's not growing. A growing church is going to have people in all stages of development, right? I mean, if you're growing, that means you're adding members and there'll be babes in Christ. There'll be some that are adolescents, spiritually speaking. There'll be some who are mature. There will be seasoned saints. You're not just going to be just one homogenous demographic of strong Christians that have been in the faith for 50 years. There are churches that are in a lot of trouble because they're that way and they're one generation away from not existing anymore. A church that has only strong Christians is a weak church. We should expect to have some doubt among us. We should expect to have people who struggle. We should expect these things because that's part of growing. The dynamic is messy sometimes, sure. That's what we're here for. We're not here just to enjoy ourselves and to have this undisturbed life in Christ, but we're supposed to be reaching out to sinners, bringing them in, training them along the way to grow up and to be in the position where they can reach out to others one day themselves. As long as we're growing, we're going to have some who struggle with sin. And if we don't want them, I guarantee you the devil does. And so show mercy to those who doubt. Now there's a second group of Christians that are spoken of here that we are to show mercy to. And these are called by Jude those who are on fire. Not the good kind, you know, somehow, some people say, I'm on fire for the Lord. They're talking about their zeal. That's not what Jude is talking about here. He's talking about the fires of condemnation because he says, verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. These are probably Christians who've been caught up in some kind of a sin that is condemning them. And again, this speaks against the idea of uh, once saved, always saved. You know, don't need to care for yourself spiritually. Don't need to attend to that. Some people neglect their spiritual health to the point that they go back into a life of sin. And in the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, they're in worse state than they were before they were converted. That happens. And what do we do? Are we to just let them go? Well, there's nothing I can do about that. Jude says, snatch them out of the fire. Save them by snatching them out of the fire. 
There's some examples of how to do this. In Acts chapter 8, Philip the evangelist goes to Samaria. He encounters a magician or a sorcerer named Simon. Preaches the gospel to him, baptizes him. Simon becomes a Christian. Simon, not long after that, turns around when he meets Peter and John the apostles, and he offers them money for their miraculous power. Power only an apostle is supposed to have. And Peter angrily says to him, May your silver perish with you. He says in Acts 8, verse 22, Repent and pray that this sin may be removed from you. He is snatching Simon from the fire. He sees Simon being consumed in his greed, in his jealousy for power, and he realizes, if I don't step in here now, this man is going to be lost forever. We don't know if Simon ever repented, but we know what Peter told him. And that's instructions you can give to others with love. You can say, you need to repent, and we need to pray that God will forgive you. Another example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a member of the church there who's sexually immoral and unrepentant, and he's not going to change. And the people have seemed to tolerate his behavior. And Paul instructs them to withdraw fellowship from him so that his spirit may be saved. Take some drastic measures here. This is, this is a desperate situation. This is an emergency this man is in the fire, snatch him out before it's everlastingly too late. One last example has to do with an apostle, Peter in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians 2 verses 11 and following, Paul talks about this awful situation that happened in Antioch. Peter and Barnabas and others came up from Jerusalem and uh, they were not treating the Gentiles equally. Gentile Christians were having to eat over here. The Jewish Christians were eating over here. They'd made a separation, dividing the body of Christ. And Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face because he stood condemned. The Apostle Peter, after all that had happened, after he'd seen the risen Lord, after he preached that great sermon in Acts chapter 2, he stood condemned. He was in the fire. And Paul didn't mince words. He opposed him to his face. And we know Peter repented of that, as we can as well. I'm not trying to say that you can force anybody to do anything. There's a point at which you have no control over another person's actions. But what I'm saying is, don't sweep it under the rug. If someone's caught in the fires of condemnation, don't look the other way. The most loving thing in the world that you can do is to warn them of their spiritual condition and do it gently and as lovingly as you can, but be very clear. Don't mince words. Look at those examples and save them. The third group. These are not Christians. These are people outside the body of Christ. We're not to ignore them either. He says, To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. These are those who persist in sin. Those outside the body. As Christians, we're not supposed to just withdraw from society in order to keep ourselves clean. 
That's the attitude some people have. They don't want to have anything to do with the world. And I understand that. You might fear temptation. Or you might just be disgusted by the behavior of some people who live in sin and worldliness. That's not the attitude we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have the same attitude Jesus had toward those who persist in sin. We're to show mercy to them. Evangelism is a responsibility of every Christian. How are you going to bring people to Christ if you don't know them? If you don't form relationships with them? If you don't interact with them in your daily life? Now there is a danger, and Jude tells us about that danger here. There is a danger of them rubbing off on you more than you rub off on them. So he reminds them of the spiritual state of those who are ungodly. He says their garments are stained. And you need to learn to hate the garments stained by the flesh. The, the language he's using here is really disgusting. It's the, it's, he's talking about soiled underwear. He's saying that's, that's how filthy their soul is. And you need to hate the garments. But hating the garments is not the same thing as hating the person. The idea is you want to save the individual. You want to love the individual and hate the sin. Hate the garment, not the person. And you hate the garment because of what the flesh is doing to the person. It's your love for the person that makes you hate their sin. It's mercy. And it should be shown to others. And so Jude comes full circle around. Having started out telling Christians to care for themselves, he says care for others. But here in this last statement he's saying, as you care for others, keep watching your own soul and make sure you hate the garment that is stained by the flesh. God's love is a cycle. It's not meant to go in one direction. It's not to be absorbed by His people and hoarded up and kept We are not to be stingy with it, but God's love is to be shown to us, channeled through us to others, and they, in gratitude and praise, give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So, with the brethren, show mercy to those who doubt. Show mercy to those who are in danger of being burned in the fire. In the world, show mercy to those stained with sin, Tell them the good news about Jesus Christ and His mercy for all. We have a great responsibility. We can't fulfill it if we don't care for ourselves. But if we do the proper spiritual work and watch over our own selves, we can help others as well. Do you need help in your life? Do you need a little mercy? Your brothers and sisters in Christ are here. Maybe you're ready to become a member of the church. We want to encourage you to do that. We're here to help you in whatever way we can. We've chosen an invitation song to encourage you. If you have any need, please come now as we stand together and as we sing.